Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. Do you know that God's calling on your life? It's irrevocable. It is made with the full character of God who has adopted you as his child. It is guaranteed with the seal of the Holy Spirit. That is a down payment promising your inheritance forevermore and that you are his child. You've called upon his name. He's given you the right to become a child of God. And this is irrevocable. This is irrevocable. Look at Ezra chapter 9. Let's begin in verse 12. So do not give your daughters to their sons in marriage or take their daughters for your sons. Never pursue their welfare or prosperity so that you will be strong. Eat the good things of the land and leave it as an inheritance to your sons forever. Let's talk about what's, what's happening here. This prayer began with confession. And then there's this but now transition where he acknowledges God has given us grace. There is a remnant here and we have the opportunity to have a stake in his most holy place. God has even given us respite amidst slavery and oppression. And he's acknowledging like I have nothing to say in response to this. What could I possibly say in response to this? God has taken a land that was marked by its sinfulness and he's decided that it's his and now here they are at the moment where it could be rebuilt and reclaimed. And so, that's the word so, verse, uh, verse 12 begins, so don't commit the sins that we committed to get ourselves in this place in the first place. All right, don't give your daughters to their sons in marriage or take their daughters for your sons. Okay, stop intermarrying with people who worship false gods. Again, there, there was never... There was never a moratorium on having foreign wives. Joseph had a foreign wife. Moses had a foreign, foreign wife. It was particularly the Canaanite nations that they would intermarry with them because the people would take on the false worship practices. That's just, uh, you know, uh, the, the false prophet, um, the pro false prophet for hire. Balaam knew it. It turned out that he was exactly right, and God foretold it. Obviously, God was exactly right. It's just what happens. And so this was forbidden, and so now we're back to basics. So don't commit the stupid sin that got us here in the first place. Now, this verse is worth unpacking because it can be interpreted a couple of different ways in English. Never pursue their welfare or prosperity. Now, on the one hand, this could sound like kind of a, kind of a jerk move, like, don't do anything that would lead to the welfare of the Canaanites or cause the Canaanites to prosper. You know, as if he's just saying like, look, for, forget the Canaanites completely. No, he's calling them, don't pursue, in, in, in my humble interpretation, don't pursue what they consider to be welfare. Don't take on their version of prosperity because what they call prosperity could be doom for you on this, in this life. Their sense of welfare probably means having lots of different idols around. That's not welfare for you. Their sense of prosperity could be in the worldly sense, could be in a fiscal sense. It, it could mean numerous things that have nothing to do with God's will for you. And man, like that will preach in Seattle today. Because Christians ought to have a totally different definition for prosperity. We, we, ought, we have a totally different definition for welfare. We already know that we have a totally different definition for health care. Because what's called health care in this state is not health care. What is considered 
women's reproductive health is the opposite of what it claims to be. We already have a different definition for healthcare. We have a different definition for wellness. We have to have a different definition for prosperity too. Because we know we live among some incredibly prosperous people. Where the Redemption Church currently meets in the AMC Theater in Factoria is right at the intersection of I-90 and the 405. And from the place where we worship, within just minutes, you could arrive at the neighborhoods of some of the richest people in the world. I'm talking billionaires with a B, and there are multiples of them. Okay, they, these are the guys that started Amazon, started Microsoft, probably 10 minutes from where we worship. That's where they live. They're here. They're all around us. And both of them have gone through divorce recently. And both of them lost like half of their estates. Two, they're now ex-wives. That money didn't help their marriage. It didn't give them a life of true welfare. And those of us who have intact families, we're more prosperous than the billionaires down the road. So don't pursue their definition of welfare, their definition of prosperity, so that you will be strong, eat the good things of the land, and leave it as an inheritance to your sons forever. This was a call for the people of Israel to stop forsaking God, stop pursuing a worldly definition of welfare and prosperity to instead inherit this land and leave it as, leave it as something to be uh, bequeathed to your sons forever. That's the, that's the beautifully audacious prayer. All right, now we know prophetically that was not the case for a little while there, but they never left Israel. They're still there today, and they, they will be. Here's verse 13. After all that has happened to us because of our evil deeds and terrible guilt, though you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserve and have allowed us to survive, should we break your commands again and intermarry with the peoples who commit these detestable practices? So there's something built in here that just puts, puts Dave Ramsey's you know, typical salutation to shame. He's openly acknowledging that, wow, uh, God, you've punished us less than our iniquities deserve. That's, that's a prayer right there. Yeah, I'll bet, I'll bet you haven't prayed that today, okay? Like, that's, that's incredible. Uh, take, take a minute, even having gone through the discipline of God, knowing you'll never experience the wrath of God, be grateful for the mercy of God because he is fully within his rights. It is absolutely the prerogative of a holy, just judge of a God to administer punishment that is commensurate with the degree of the offense, but not one of us has experienced that. He has decreed from the Old Testament by which we get the law, from which we can determine what is sinful today. Every one of us deserves a death sentence because there were, there were death sentences prescribed for things like approaching the holy place in an unworthy manner, touching the Ark of the Covenant, 
you know, committing adultery. And according to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, it's not even enough not to have, just to have not committed adultery, even just looking at someone lustfully, Matthew 5. 28, it's like committing adultery in your heart. Every one of us then ought to be stoned to death as an adulterer, stoned to death as an idolater, stoned to death by the Old Testament law. The wages of sin is death. Every one of us has sinned. So the fact that you're alive and listening to or watching this right now means that you have not been punished to the extent that your iniquities deserve. So that gives you something to be thankful for, doesn't it? Let's take a minute to do that. Thank you, God, for not punishing me to the full extent that I really deserve for my iniquity. We'll never know the full patience of God. He has just allowed his people to survive. And so he asked the question rhetorically, like we've done all this, should we go right back to the very thing that caused all this in the first place? Wouldn't you, he asks God, rhetorically, become so angry with us that you would destroy us, leaving neither remnant nor survivor? Lord, God of Israel, you are righteous, for we survive as a remnant today. Here we are before you with our guilt, though no one can stand in your presence because of this. So this is a paradox. Here we are before you, but no one can stand in your presence because of this. We're standing in presence we ought not be able to. We are sinners in the presence of a holy God, and the sinners die before a holy God. You are fully within your rights, O God, to eradicate us, says Ezra in chapter 9. But what Ezra doesn't know is coming is the New Testament, Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 29. I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you will not be conceited. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Okay, this kind of talk right here is what makes Uh, the book of Romans, an anathema to Orthodox Jews. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them. I think he's quoting Isaiah here, 49 maybe. And then I think this is Jeremiah, when I take away their sins. Regarding the gospel, they are enemies for your advantage. But regarding election, they are loved because of the patriarchs since God's gracious gifts and calling are irrevocable. He has made this covenant with Old Testament Israel. Now here, even in the New Testament, Romans chapter 11, the worst fears of Ezra in his prayer are never to be realized. Ezra acknowledges that, man, God's able to just completely wipe Israel out. But God made this covenant with Israel. He would restore Israel going to bring revival to Israel because his calling, his gracious gifts, they're irrevocable. That's the original intent behind Romans 11. Now, you may not have been born in Old Testament Israel. In fact, I doubt that you were because you'd be pretty old. Um, You know, welcome. Glad you're here. Get to work. Um, (laughs) But having been born into the New Testament, having inherited this teaching, having been, you know, uh, having been taught now from the book of Ezra just a little bit and seeing it through a New Testament lens, we can't use necessarily like what's called replacement theology because Israel and the church are different, but God is the same. These two covenants are different, but God is the same. The author of Hebrews argues repeatedly and emphatically that this new covenant that we've inherited is actually even better by far. God is permanently faithful in his old covenant to his Old Testament people. 
I do not believe that this passage argues for the salvation of every Jewish person. Okay, in fact, that's just back up a couple chapters in Romans. Paul is praying. He wishes that he could give up his own salvation so that his fellow, fellow Jews could be saved. What I'm saying here is that God is faithful to his people. And as a child of God, that's you today. His calling is irrevocable. His gracious gifts, they're permanent. So would you thank God for his mercy? Thank God for his grace. Take a minute right now and pray to him and thank him for not allowing you to ever in this life or eternity to come experience the full weight of the wrath of God or even just the discipline of God. Because we've been so sinful, we deserve much more. But because he's so gracious and he's so irrevocably faithful, we will never know the full discipline or punishment of God. That's great news.